is Elora Ramirez. I have found that one of the myths I believe about writing is whenever I have a block, so many times I believe that it's something about my craft that needs to change when so often it's really that I just need to disconnect. I need to get quiet. I need to listen because I've been moving too fast and I've been not paying attention to the story that's supposed to be told. Welcome to another episode of Right of Your Life, where life happens and life storytelling transforms it. Our show is brought to you by lifestorytelling.com. And guess what? You don't have to be a writer to write your life stories. Lifestorytelling.com will teach you how. If you've been through hell and lived to tell about it, or your family skeletons are poking out of the closet, you'll want to check it out at lifestorytelling.com. You're going to enjoy hearing from our guest, Elora Nicole, today. Elora has been telling stories her entire life, starting in grade school where she wrote in the margins of her Dr. Seuss books about ways she felt the story could improve. She's a former high school English teacher and has a master's in education in curriculum and instruction. But she has evolved from those formal constraints to form her own style of storytelling. Elora has written three novels and now has a community and course called Awake the Bones that teaches people to find and write the book inside them. Welcome, Elora. Hi, thank you. Can you share a little bit about what you do and your blog and the courses that you have? I have been blogging for 13 years and I've learned so much about storytelling and the process of finding and telling your story whether that's a story that you are like a fiction story or a memoir, or it's just the story that will help point you towards your purpose. I founded Awake the Bones. Currently, I focus on indie writers. So people who think they might have a book inside them, have always wanted to write a book, or they know they want to write a book, and they're in the process of writing a book, and they're needing a community around them to help rally and push them to the end, as well as to kind of guide them in the process of indie publishing. This community is really just a safe place to land. I don't pretend to know everything about indie publishing. There's a lot of people within the the crew who we bounce ideas back and forth. It's just this amazing opportunity to work with authors who, thanks to the gatekeepers of publishing, wouldn't have their books out. And that's my dream. My dream in so many ways is to have a an office full of books that are published in the indie market and they're of quality, they are written with intention and soul, and the people take that step of courage to put their work out there, whether it's a piece of fiction or a memoir or a devotional or whatever it is, whatever they have inside that they feel like they need to share. I want them to share it. And I want them to believe that their story is worth it because I believe their story is worth it. Well, that's one of the things that really keyed me into how you feel because I feel exactly the same way. And you said, I believe everyone has a story to tell and that story has the possibility of changing the world. It's absolutely true. Even the most mundane life or someone who thinks their life is mundane has the opportunity to change their world and the world in general with their story. 
Yeah. When I was teaching, I was really involved with Invisible Children for a while. And I had a friend who worked for them. She was affiliated with Paul Mitchell. She loved doing hair and beauty. Mm -hmm. But she had a spread in the magazine. And it was all these people who are affiliated with Paul Mitchell and how they're changing the world. And her cardboard piece in front of her was, your story can change the world. Mm-hmm. had that and I like laminated it <laughs> and, I, and I put it on my door in my classroom. And so every time my students would leave my classroom, that would be the last thing they saw. And on the last day of classes, every year, it didn't matter. I always had students say, well, if I learned anything, it was that my story is important. Right. And that was basically my goal and my hope for being a teacher when I taught high school, because so many of those students, they lose their creativity. They don't believe that it's important because they've been told it's not important. Right. It can be devastating as a teacher to hear a student say, well, miss, I don't know what to write about. I don't have a story. (laughs) Elora, tell me a little bit about the community that you've created. Is that at Awake the Bones or is that on your blog, elora.nicole.com or where is that community? The community, which is called The Coterie, is housed under Awake the Bones, and that's where you can find more information about it as well. Just this past spring, I developed the program that we'll be running through, which is taking you through the process of writing a book, developing your why, finding your process, believing and kind of understanding the myth of success. But then underneath all of that, underneath the craft and the business side and the process and the and the discipline. We're going to be focusing on soul care. And so whenever you write, whatever you're writing, it's an excavation and so many things can come up where you're you're stuck and you're realizing that this is more than just the fact that I can't come up with words to say. This is something deep. Like this is psychological, this is spiritual, this is emotional. Like there's something There's a deeper level of no that's happening here. And walking people through that process in a healthy way. There's times where I've reached out to a few of them and I'm like, I can't believe I just wrote this scene. I'm working through my memoir right now. It's the first personal narrative that I'm going to publish, like extensive personal narrative. I'll reach out to one of them and I'm like, I can't believe I just wrote the scene. Read over it for me and tell me what you think. And just modeling that type of behavior is really important for me because that's what I'm hoping that they're doing for each other. They are. And it's just, it's amazing to see and it's incredible to watch the camaraderie that's happening. I love it. I love that group so much. I love working with people one-on-one. It's just, it's incredible. That's exciting. I experienced that same thing years and years ago. I took a class and we met every Friday over lunch and shared our stories and then came back and crafted more. And there is healing in sharing your story in writing and also with other people reading. In its purest form, storytelling is one of the best currencies we have for human connection, Uh, right? uh So tell me a little bit more about that, the human connection and why storytelling is a currency for that. This is what gets me emotional. If you tell me what you believe, I'll listen to you. But I'm, I won't pay attention, really. Like, <laughs> in that moment, I'll be like, that's nice. I understand. But if you tell me a story, if you tell me the why behind the why, and the story of how you got there, then I'm more likely to connect with you and understand on a deeper level. And so even though I might not agree with you, I'm not going to come back with, oh, well, you're wrong because X, Y, and Z. 
I'll be able to see that connection and, and we're relating to each other as humans rather than two competing forces right. with two completely different mindsets. And so that's what I've just tried to incorporate in my own life. Like whenever I am faced with a conflict, it's natural for me to reach for the story. Why is this happening? What led me to this place? What are the characters involved? What is the, the narrative that I am believing versus the narrative that's really happening? Storytelling has such a possibility surrounding it that I think that's why I believe it changes the world when you get down to it. When you have that connection with somebody, it's harder to ostracize them and use them as a stereotype. That's an aha moment right there. But how does someone take that and bring it down to the practical? How do you start telling your story? For me, how I started telling my story is I've been telling stories my whole life, right? Like that's in my bio, but it was never about me. (laughs) It was always these constructed narratives that I was building in my head of characters, or it was me telling somebody else what I experienced with someone else. And so I might be a character involved, but it's not me. Like, it's not about me. Right. And as long as I can remember, people tell me that, oh, you're such a great storyteller. But what caused me to start telling my story was actually my students. I was telling them every day, your story matters, your story matters. But I realized I didn't believe the flip for myself. Like if you would flip the tables and say, your story matters, I just kind of roll my eyes and be like, whatever. When I realized (laughs) that (laughs) that internal lie that I was believing, it changed everything. I just kind of slowly dipped my toe in. And I think that's what's important. Storytelling, like I said earlier, is such an excavation you can't just bite everything off at once and expect to be the same person afterward. Mm-hmm. There's this aspect of vulnerability. It's like a piece of ice internally. Like if you haven't ever shared, it's you have to take an ice pick to it and you can't just break it all completely all at once. And so you just kind of have to work around the edges. What I realized is the more I wrote and the more I focused on what was on those edges, like the peripheral of my story, the things that I remember immediately, the more some of the core pieces started to surface. That's what I tell people, especially when they're working on a memoir, is I say, like, just start from the beginning and go from there and let your story direct you with where it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. You shared a snippet from your memoir. Can you read a piece of that for our listeners? Yes. Just some context. This is about a young man that I worked with when I was a senior in high school. My memoir is about me building a life out of words. This is a scene from an interaction I had with him. It happened on a muggy night in May. We were closing. By that time, there were a few of us who frequented the late night shifts. And while most nights this meant music blaring and kitchen dance parties and laughing until we cried and exchanging food with the nearby Taco Cabana, this night held a weight all its own. I knew it was coming the entire shift. My hands shook with anticipation and dread. My intuition kept screaming, no, 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 no. But at the time, I didn't know what that was. I thought it was just fear. I even told him no multiple times during the shift, and every time he would get closer and closer and closer until finally I thought he would devour me if I wasn't careful. 
Every single cell was on alert. And when he walked out of the restaurant with his apron and hat in his hands and pulled out the keys to his Camaro, I ran after him. He turned around, smiling before fixing his gaze somewhere below my eyes. It only lasted for a few seconds, but I knew the moment it happened, it was a mistake. I knew I'd been tricked, manipulated. I was that girl. I saved face for a moment, letting him turn around and walk to his car. And then I walked back into the kitchen, finished my closing routines, said bye to Brian, who kept asking me what was wrong despite my quick shake of the head, and escaped to my car where I wept the entire drive home. For the next week, I couldn't sing, I couldn't write, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror because I was too afraid someone would see behind the mask. I felt like, and I believed, I was a slut. Even though on the scale of what could have happened and what actually did, my actions are pretty tame, it didn't change the fact that I chased him, that I sought him out, that I said yes. After weeks and weeks and weeks and months of saying no, he broke me down and I said yes. If it was that easy to get me to agree to do something I knew I didn't want to do, then where did that leave me? Why was I experiencing such deep shame because of it? The answer was simple. I thought I had found my voice. I thought the wildness inside sounded like yes and relenting to someone else's desire over me. I thought he knew better because he kept asking. I believed my nose didn't really hold much weight to anyone anyway. I never really said the word because I couldn't find the grit to back it up. I was always giving in to what others expected of me before what I knew to be true. Terry Tempest Williams says that in order for a woman to find her voice, there must be a betrayal. There would come a shattering. There would be a moment where my mouth would open and words would form themselves around the sounds coming from deep within my bones. That would be later, though. But this, this was the beginning of my betrayal. Wow. That's deep stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long after this actual incident did you sit down and write about it? Oh, goodness. That was senior year of high school. I graduated in 2000, so it was 15 years ago. 15 years ago. <laughs> and this is the first time that I've written about that episode. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you, in writing it, did you find something new out about yourself doing that exercise of writing through this scene? Oh, yes, absolutely. When I started my memoir, I was not anticipating focusing so much on the relationships I had in high school. Like I was just thinking, oh, I'll do a cursory glance through my childhood years and maybe have like 10,000 words up until like I quit teaching. As I started writing, every single relationship I have, I think outside of a few, are in the memoir because they're important to this aspect of me finding my voice and answering this call of wild that I had like it's just mm -hmm. I, don't, I can't even really describe it other than it's just this wildness inside that keeps rearing its head when I look back on memories and that wildness determines so many of my decisions because I, I believe now because of the scene that wildness was my voice I was chasing it I was calling after it but I wasn't doing it in a way that was healthy or true because of habits instilled in me and because of things that happened to me that made me believe that I could trust other people before I could trust myself. And how long did it take for you to realize that? Well, I'm, I'm about to be 33. I didn't start facing any of this until I was almost 30. So it's, it's been in the past five years that right. I've really started gaining that autonomy 
and that agency of believing what has happened to me or deconstructing the story I thought I had and comparing it with the story that really is inside. So has that scene lost some of its power? Did you release that shame? Yes. Yeah. I And I've told this story before. I don't think the shame was as strong, but it helped me see, like, it's one of those those moments where, you know, you're looking through something and you're focusing, whether it be through like a microscope or through a telescope, and you're just seeing a tiny point. And you can see it clearly because you're focusing on just that thing, but you're not knowing what it is because it's just one tiny part of a whole. And when you kind of step back away from the microscope or away from the telescope and you look at the entire picture, you can see. And that's what happened when I wrote the scene a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was almost like... <sighs> The shame had been released, but I came to a deeper understanding and compassion for that Elora. When I wrote this, I was like, oh, honey. (laughs) It was kind of like one of those moments. Yeah, you you are okay. You are okay. I think we all have those moments of things that we've done that we've regretted, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And things that we are shameful about. Writing is one way to release some of that shame and release that whole grip that the past has on you Mm -hmm. and whether you ever intend to publish it or not, that's a way to reflect back and name those fears. I think humanity has a huge capacity for pulling the wool over its own eyes. Mm. We all do. That's what writing does is it exposes it. So it, it can't hurt you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a client when I first started story coaching and she was processing through what we were talking about. And she was like, Laura, you know, I just, I'm working through this sense of betrayal. She was realizing that so much of what she believed about her story was false. And so she was experiencing this deep mourning over the story she was having to let go. Right. And I, I know that so well, because there've been complete reconstructions of pieces of my story that I've had to go through in therapy and in writing and diving into this deep where I'm like, okay, what is my story? What really happened? What are those memories? And why do they keep popping up? You know, those types. Right. And it's a complete reconstruction. And I think that's the wool that we pull over our eyes, whether it's because we can't handle it in the moment. And so it's really like just a, a safety valve or whether we just don't want to face it. So we live in denial. But yeah, that wool is is heavy and it's thick and it's it's hard to break through. But once you do, it's impossible to put it back on. Have you ever had anybody who couldn't break through or who, who couldn't just go beyond the surface, hey, here's what's happened, and really dig into the emotional part of it? Have you ever had someone who just could not do that? Yeah. I've had a few and I've even had a few people who plumb the depths that they don't plumb the right ones. Mm-hmm, right, right. <laughs> that can be difficult when I'm coaching somebody and I know that they are not going deep enough, but I can't just come out and say, no, I think you need to focus on this. Right. Because the power of telling your own story is releasing that need for codependence. And I learned, oh, I learned. But now it's just I kind of have to continually prod them and encourage them and ask them questions as they come up 
until that moment when it does happen, because it will, it always will. I don't think our stories can lay buried for long. Right. And it's not a fast process. You can't just start writing and move on. It takes, like you said, plumb those depths. But there's such joy on the other side, such freedom Mm -hmm. from those things that you don't even know are holding you back. Yeah. Laura, you have a giveaway for our listeners, a discount for the Coterie, correct? Yes. If you sign up, it's 12 months of guided classes and extras like PDFs and worksheets. And there's about 90 women included. You will also receive free sessions of coaching with me. And so every month I'll post my availability. And the first people who sign up are the people who I'll meet with. You'll also receive occasional developmental edits. And so if you're stuck with a certain piece of your writing, you can send it to me and I'll look over it. And then just access to me. I'm really big on connection with people within storytelling, like we've been talking about. Right now, you could pay $567 total, or you could pay uh, $47 a month. With this discount, you could get into the Coterie for $17. So it's a pretty significant discount. Oh, absolutely. Lovely. Thank you for that. And like you said, it's a community. That's valuable in and of itself. It's a community of like-minded people going through the same things. Yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for being generous with your time and your expertise. And this has been a fabulous conversation. And I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Great information from Elora Nicole. Show notes can be found at rightofyourlife.com slash Elora Nicole. And we have a free download there for you entitled, Can I Write About My Ex? And Other Burning Life Story Questions. At the end of each episode, I peek into the Life Story Toolkit and share information on one particular tool that you might consider using if you're writing or would like to start writing about your life. The Life Story Toolkit is sponsored by lifestorytelling.com where you can find your life theme, discover where to start writing, and craft your life into a compelling story. This episode's Life Story Toolkit features the Pomodoro Technique. It's a way of getting any work done, whether you're writing, working on the job, or just need to make progress on a project. For many people, time is an enemy. We race against the clock to finish assignments and meet deadlines. The Pomodoro Technique teaches you to work with time instead of struggling against it. Here's how it works. First, choose a task you'd like to get done, big or small. Second, set a timer for 25 minutes and make an oath to yourself that you will work exclusively on that task and not interrupt yourself. If you think of something else you need to do, just quickly jot it down on a piece of paper and return to your task. Third, when the timer rings, stop what you're doing and put a check mark of success down on a piece of paper to track. Take a short break, get a cup of coffee and breathe and take a short walk or do something relaxing. When the break is done, set the timer for another 25 minutes. Then every four Pomodoros, you'll want to take a longer break of 20 or 30 minutes. Give the Pomodoro technique a try and you'll be surprised just how much progress you'll make. You can find more information at pomodorotechnique.com. That's all we have for today. In the last episode, Morgan McDonald shared some behind-the-scenes techniques on how she wrote a book in 20-minute chunks between early morning feedings of her newborn baby. So if you've been thinking you don't have time to write, you might want to go back and have a listen. 
Next week, we'll interview an Evernote efficiency expert who shares some great insights on how to make Evernote work for you. If you like this podcast and find it valuable, would you consider sponsoring the show? You can support it by sharing each episode on your social networks, and you can head over to our special page at patreon.com slash right of your life and become a patron. Not only will you feel good knowing you're helping the show, but there are special perks for supporters. If only 15 people provided $5 per episode, it would help us reach many more people who could benefit from writing about their lives. We love our listeners and would enjoy interacting with you on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. My handle is Right of Your Life. This show is put together by consulting producer Nick Jaworski at podcastmonster.com and myself, Stacy Curtis. We hope that today you have the right of your life. <laughs> <laughs>